Okay, so Corky S, you are on. Thank you, Charlie. Good morning, everybody, or good afternoon, as the case may be. Uh, my name is Corky Smith, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, I um, am uh, honored to uh, speak to uh, uh, this group. Uh, I should have said, piped up when you ask for anybody that's new to this meeting, which which I am, but I thought I'm going to be talking too much any, anyway, so I I didn't say anything then, but I have not been to this meeting before. But I've been to a lot of meetings, and uh, my uh, my sobriety date is Thursday, December the 16th, 1976. And my uh, home group is the, um, there is a solution group in Mechanicsburg, uh, Pennsylvania. And I have a sponsor, Jim S. in Cincinnati. And... Um, my story is not particularly unique, but, uh, you know, just the fact that uh, I've been around a number of years uh, is not important to anybody other than me personally, but that's, but that somebody can uh, you know, stay sober for a number of years. My sponsor, my first sponsor, Keith B., just celebrated his 50th anniversary on February the 22nd, and he lives in uh, and outside of Phoenix, and uh, I talked to him on a semi-regular basis, but uh, he was very important in those early days. So um, my story, uh, there, there's, uh, it's my feeling there are four uh, basic leads. <clears throat> there are the, there's the lead that you plan to give. Uh, there's the lead that you do give. There's the lead that you wish you'd given. And then there's the truth. And I say that facetiously in a way, but, you know, giving, given the fact that um, I was a blackout drinker, uh, I, was, I, was a, I was a daily drinker, I was a scotch drinker, I was a bar drinker, and I was a blackout drinker. But so when you're in a blackout, obviously the only thing you know what happened is what somebody tells you. But even without the blackouts, the uh, distortion of reality that uh, alcohol uh, imparts on our brains, in particular in, uh, in, in, in the alcoholic, is the, the distortions and, the, uh, you know, away from reality is, is amazing. But, but anyway, I was, uh, I was born in a, in a loving family as an only child in Dayton, Ohio, 1938, and um, I started uh, um, drinking uh, with my parents' permission. Uh, they, uh, at, in high school, they they felt that uh, it, was, it was fairly common that if you learn to drink at home and learn to drink responsibly, you'd never get into any problems with alcohol. And and I had what what I considered a hollow the hollow leg syndrome, and, and uh, I assumed I would oh, I would always have that. Um, so, but but I was totally wrong there. But, but anyway, I I grew up in a medical family. My father was a physician. My grandfather was a physician. The man that married my father's sister was a physician. And my earliest remembrances, I learned to drive a car sitting on my dad's lap when I couldn't reach the pedals, uh, making house calls with my dad. So I, 
I came by it naturally. And so as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a physician. And um, so, uh, and I had a lot of good years. My parents were Scotch drinkers and I was allowed to uh, finish the, uh, uh, the highballs that they fixed. Neither one of them were alcoholics. Uh, and the, and we, I had a loving family. I did not have a dysfunctional family. And I had a lot of good years with alcohol, actually. Uh, so um, I went to uh, uh, Brown University uh, from high school in Dayton. And um, I, was, uh, I was never athletic, uh, but uh, I was uh, pledging uh, fraternities there. And just to give you a little idea about my early drinking, uh, I, uh, I, I pledged one of the premier jock fraternities at Brown because they wanted me as their social chairman. So, uh, you know, I was not, you know, in any way athletic, but, but they saw a bright future to have me as their social chairman. So uh, that that got off to a good start and I loved being at Brown and I was getting ready to go back to uh, my uh, junior year. And that would have been in 1958. And uh, just around Labor Day, about the time I was to leave, uh, my mother started coughing up blood and uh, they uh, worked her up and they found a mass in her chest. And the general surgeon, who was a good friend of the family, opened my mother up and found a bronchogenic carcinoma that had invaded the wall of the aorta and was uh, given, she was given six months to live. And my father and I were devastated, absolutely devastated. Now, my mother was a smoker, but, but what I remember was just kind of a social smoker. But um, anyway... Um, I couldn't go back to, I couldn't go back east to Providence and I dropped out of school and I took my mother to uh, the local hospital in Dayton, Mama Valley Hospital every day for massive radiation treatments. And the uh, radiate, the radiologist, uh, you know, really gave her some massive treatments. And um, uh, really when, when she was first diagnosed, she was still feeling feeling fine. This was just the, she started with this hemoptysis of coughing up this blood. And, and uh, so uh, following this radiation treatment, she was very sick from the, from the radiation. But uh, by the grace of God, she uh, did get a little bit better. And I had been out of school for a while. And so I enrolled in the University of Dayton for a while. And then I transferred to the University of Cincinnati. And um, my mother actually lived for uh, two years from the first time they diagnosed it because of this uh, treatment that the radiologist gave my mother. But I was, uh, I was just, you know, uh, uh, devastated and, and I, 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 I really didn't, uh, I started drinking more. Um, and uh, I, again, I was a Scotch drinker. I didn't go through the uh, beer and uh, uh, seven and seven uh, routine. And, um, you know, I, I really didn't. Um, um, 
I, I was kind of in, in a limbo for a while there, not knowing. And my mom was uh, getting a little better. And then the last six months were horrible. And she died of a uh, slow, horrible, asphyxiating death from her tumor. And at that time, I had been admitted to the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine. And so during the, uh, during the day and during the week, I was dissecting a cadaver uh, with three other uh, students. And on the weekends, I would drive back 50 miles to my home and be with my mother and father and see her become cachectic, have trouble breathing and unable to move. And it was a horrible, horrible time. And uh, so I, uh, the, the drinking escalated and I wanted to drop out of medical school and and my father kept insisting that I hang in there. And to that end, he and I took a couple of wonderful trips to Europe in the summertime uh, between my um, junior and fresh, fresh, uh, freshman and sophomore year and sophomore and junior year. And so by the grace of God, I, I hung in there and, and I graduated from medical school in uh, 1964. Uh, I graduated on a Saturday, and uh, uh, on Sunday, I went to Columbus and took the Ohio State Medical uh, Board exams for three days, uh, mostly uh, oral, some written, and uh, uh, came back on uh, Friday and had my bachelor dinner. And the week after I graduated from medical school, I got married, uh, pretty much uh, hungover. Uh, from my bachelor dinner and then went to Chicago to intern. And uh, I interned in Chicago at Northwestern. I wanted to, my father and my grandfather and my uncle were all in general practice. And I, I medical school, a lot of us find the field we want by process of elimination. And I knew I didn't want this and I didn't want that. I didn't want pediatrics. I didn't want obstetrics. I didn't want radiology that time radiology was just primarily looking at the x-rays in a box. It wasn't the interventional uh, and patient contact that it is. So, but anyway, I narrowed it down to uh, neurology and ophthalmology and I decided I would uh, go into ophthalmology uh, and specialize in, in just the diseases and surgery of the eye. And um, it was, a, a, a wonderful decision for me. I enjoyed every every minute. Uh, practice. Uh, I um, after I got, finished my residency in 1968, Uncle Sam stepped in, and um, I had been deferred, <sighs> and so he uh, decided that uh, they deferred me as long as they could, and I went on active duty and was sent to Fort Huachuca, Arizona. And I spent two years there, uh, and I was seeing a lot of the docs that go through there on their way to Vietnam. This was 68 to 70. And I was fortunate to, uh, there was a, an old uh, one-story uh, hospital in Douglas, Arizona, which was about an hour away from, from Fort Huachuca. And the ear, nose, and throat uh, doctor uh, Charlie Meinstein from, from Phoenix and I, every Wednesday with the Army's permission, would drive down to this little hospital 
And there was an old double ENT doctor down there who was uh, too old to uh, do surgery anymore. But he uh, he had he was in his seventies at that time. And Charlie and I would go down there, and uh, they had two operating rooms, and and Charlie would oper- do ear, nose, and throat surgery in one room, and I do eye surgery in the other room. And we and and so the army did not send either one of us to Nam. And I I don't know this for a fact, but I I I I think that part of it was that we were uh, doing this moonlighting, and we had patients. Uh, uh, from deep into Mexico, we had uh, neither he, Charlie, nor I spoke Spanish, and we had interpreters in the operating rooms. And this old ENT doctor, he would work up the patients beforehand, and he'd follow them post-operatively. So it was a wonderful, wonderful professional uh, experience for for both he and I. And that uh, Charlie wanted me to come to Phoenix and practice when I got out, and I looked at a lot of places. Uh, I love San Diego, but it was uh, very saturated with physicians and had a good friend in uh, San Antonio and uh, he wanted me to come down there and any, I, I went back to Cincinnati, I hung out my shingle in 1970 and um, drinking was still, you know, was still under control, you know. I was, uh, I was uh, working hard and I was drinking but I was not, uh, I was, you know, not, uh, you know, seeing any of the ill effects as yet. Uh, so I uh, hung out my shingle in Cincinnati. It started practice in 1970. And uh, for the next six years, you know, things really started to go downhill. Um, I had, um, also, I had... Uh, neglected to say that just before I went into uh, the military, um, my wife and I adopted our first uh, child who was uh, a, a little girl. We had no, we, we adopted through the uh, state of Ohio uh, through uh, a private adoption, a private OB and a private attorney, which was very uh, legal at that time. Uh, we adopted our first child. We didn't know what the sex. We didn't specify uh, because we didn't. We didn't know till the child was born whether we were going to have a little boy or a little girl. So uh, we we, div- we <clears throat> adopted our first daughter before I started active duty. And when I got out, we adopted our second child again, not knowing the sex. That was also a little girl. So I started in practice in 1970 with a with a family, a couple, uh, a loving wife, uh, two wonderful daughters, uh, and a in a in a practice that was supposed to be three of us, but the the oldest gentleman uh, dropped over from a heart attack before I got there from exiting the army, and the other. Uh, ophthalmologist there went on the good ship hope as a mission for a month so i had a three three man practice you know that i was trying to take care of right out of the right out of the army and so i got off to this unbelievable start uh so <clears throat> the thing that um you know my drinking was escalating uh but but it was still what i thought under control and i never thought that uh you know, alcohol was going to be that much of a problem for me. 
my father had warned me about the dangers of narcotics and addiction and other medications, but he never considered the, uh, the problem with, with alcoholism. And so I, uh, you know, I started, uh, uh, I, I got what, what I had always been denied. I always had everything I ever wanted materialistically and lovingly and, but I never had a motorcycle. So the thing I wanted to get at that point was a motorcycle. So, and I, and I, once you, and I was a bar drinker and I'd stop at the bars on the way home and I'd ride my motorcycle to the office. And, and then I, once you start, uh, you, your, your, your hollow leg syndrome starts to disappear. You, you, uh, you know, you start to exude, you start to smell of your, of the booze. And, and so uh, it was not appropriate to, to make rounds back and back in those days, cataract patients, my patients were in five days in the hospital. It wasn't an outpatient, an hour and a half procedure, you know, in and out in an hour and a half. So five days I had to make rounds and, and change dressings. And if you go in at six or seven or eight o'clock in the morning and you smell like a brewery, that's not a good thing. So, so I would, uh, big midnight rounds and um you know i'd be sitting uh, at the at the bar and we you know waiting having a few drinks to get ready to make rounds and then i'd go to the the hospitals and i'd have to wake up my patients and change these dressings and and uh, make sure everything was all right and then uh, get back and and frequently i'd also have to be sitting at the bar and Somebody, one of the guys, uh, the emergency room hospitals around there uh, had called me and a guy had a piece of steel in his eye and, you know, working on the cars and and everything. And I'd go and and um, the next day I wouldn't remember that I had seen this this guy the night before and taking the steel out. And I'd go in the next day and I'd introduce myself and he'd say, don't you remember? you know, that you saw me last night and it was very embarrassing. So, so, uh, you know, the doctors uh, in the uh, emergency rooms put on eye patches any old way. And uh, so I developed a, a, a technique where I had the tape uh, torn exactly the same length and I put them on the, uh, over the iPad and the, and the shield, you know, at a certain angle. So I could walk in the next day and I could look at that patch and know if that was my patch or not. So I would know whether to introduce myself to that patient and avoid all that unnecessary embarrassment. So those were the little tricks that were starting to, to show up. And, and um, you know, uh, it was uh, people, nobody said, you know, you're an alcoholic. Uh, you know, my wife said, you drink too much. And my kid said, you drink too much. And my colleague said, you drink too much. And and uh, so I'd be sitting at the bar next to a stranger and we'd both be sitting there drinking and I'd tell him that. And I'd say, you know, my wife says I drink too much. And my kids and my colleagues, I said, do you think I drink too much? He said, no, you don't drink too much. And so he's the one I, I believed, you know, I, I didn't, uh, you know, it's all a matter of, you know, uh, for, you know, context, context. So, so, uh, things deteriorated and, um, I, uh, wrecked the motorcycle. I ended up, uh, in the hospital with broken ribs and, uh, uh, you know, a fractured confidence on the motorcycle and they were watching for the DTs and, and, uh, um, 
they they let me out, but I, I I continued to drink and and I was trying to get back to a New Year's resolution. I had quit uh, the previous January for for I went on the wagon to prove. <laughs> You know, everybody was on my case, and I, I went on the wagon. Now, I, I didn't realize that social drinkers never go on the wagon to prove they're social drinkers. You know, it's it's the alcoholic that goes on the wagon to prove that they're not an alcoholic. But uh, I lasted about three months, and I got down to Florida with my kids and and uh, started drinking those yellow birds at the pool, fetch proof pool and the motel in Fort Lauderdale, and I was off and running again. So um, um, I was having blackouts, terrible blackouts, terrible hangovers. Uh, my wife was taking, I was uh, spending so much money on on uh, on, the, on the Johnny Walker, and I'd had it delivered by the case from Northern Kentucky, and I would buy it from the state stores in Ohio, and and uh, I was drinking plenty of plenty of Scotch whiskey, uh, but I was rarely drunk. I was rarely staggering drunk. I wanted to be controlled. I wanted that control, that tight tight treat, that Scotch, just so that I'm mellow and not drunk. So the times that I was staggering drunk, I think probably could be counted on both of my hands. But the times I drove under the influence were almost all the time. And yet, by the grace of God, I never had a DUI. So um, I finally uh, was trying to get back to uh, to the uh, going on the wagon. And uh, I got back to uh, December the 16th. And my kids were home from, they were six and nine at the time. Uh, and uh, they were home uh, for, for getting ready for Christmas and and I couldn't get that drink down, that morning drink that I had fixed when I came home and closed the bars and put it beside the bed and it was melted. It's just kind of scotch and some melted ice and and I couldn't get it down. I, I, I just couldn't get it down. And um, so uh, I went to my physician and he admitted me to the hospital that I did most of my work at. And for five days, I was in detox and I wanted to go home and be with my kids. And they said, no, you need more treatment. So they sent me to uh, uh, a treatment center in Cincinnati for a month. I was in over Christmas and New Year's. And my wife, fortunately, uh, who was ready to disown me and suitcase me, uh, was uh, it brought the kids in uh, almost every day see me and um, uh, that was very special and um, so I uh, when I got out I was introduced to AA in the, in the treatment center I couldn't believe why some people would come in and share their experience strength and hope to a bunch of strangers we were there as patients inpatients in our in our uh, hospital gowns and paper slippers and and these people would come in and tell their stories and, and their innermost, uh, you know, problems and, and, and personal, such a personal level. And it was impressive. It was so impressive. And part of the aftercare plan of the treatment center was to uh, come back to the AA, uh, come come back to the outpatient meetings and go to AA. And I and I did that. And and <clears throat> so I started going. I got out in mid-January of 1977, 
And in Cincinnati, that was the most, that was the most bitter, lowest temperatures recorded in Cincinnati history was in January of 1977. The Ohio River froze over. People were walking across the Kentucky uh, on the river. And uh, so that was, and I started going to my AA meetings that at that point, and Keith got a hold of me, Keith B, and he uh, appointed himself as, as my first sponsor because he told me I was totally incapable of making a choice or making a decision about, you know, choosing a sponsor. But he, he was a wonderful sponsor and he helped me and a lot of other, uh, you know, pigeons get, to get off to a good start. And so uh, sobriety was, uh, was through a lot of meetings and a lot of sponsorship and a lot of uh, fellowship and uh, it was it was good and i and i took to it um, and i loved it and i'm still going to uh to meetings uh at, at my at my age i'll be i'll be 85 um in, in a couple of months and i still enjoy going to the meetings and i need to do that because uh you know just because i lived it doesn't mean i can't forget it uh, all that that happened to me, but um, in 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 my in the sobriety, uh, I've had uh, eight major operations. Uh, four in the first twenty years, uh, four lumbar laminectomies on my lower spine with at different levels with herniated discs, and then four operations in the last twenty years. Uh, primarily uh, fractured leg with plates, uh, plate and screws, and uh, a benign, fortunately, a benign parathyroid adenoma, and then a couple of cataracts with implants. Really strange, I'll tell you, to uh, uh, be lying on the table and having your cataract removed when you've been on the on the giving side, you know, on the other side of that thing for for a long time. That to be to be on the receiving side instead of the, you know, giving side was was a real experience. But but fortunately, it worked out well. And and today the cataract surgery is so much different than it was when when I started. And I retired in 2015. I practiced for 47 years, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Ophthalmology was good for me, and and. Um, I think I was good for it, but I I walked out. I was in a big group. I started out, you know, in a in a two person practice and was really was solo for a long time. And then the last several years, I was in a large group. And so when I retired, uh, the group just the group is still going strong, in Cincinnati. And uh, but I, but I, uh, I I haven't missed. I when I was in it, I loved it, but I haven't really missed it. And I and I came over here to Central Pennsylvania. I had uh, my my thirty year marriage uh, ended in divorce, uh, even though uh, I had been sober several years. My my uh, wife at the time her es her drinking escalated, and and I I never could uh, successfully get to Al Anon, and uh, so that and the other reasons uh, our marriage ended. And then I was single for a while, and then I I, uh, do, I had a long-term relationship with a nurse from the hospital, and she and I uh, broke up uh, in in uh, 20, 2020, 
And uh, that was partly because uh, she was quite a bit younger than I was. And so she said, why don't you go live with your kids? And I was very fortunate that that my girls have always been so uh, pro my recovery. And so it was uh, an, a logical thing. I moved over here uh, with the, my younger daughter for the first couple of years in Mechanicsburg. And then I've been since Christmas, I've been here in Lidditz with my older daughter and her husband and, and my granddaughter. So, and, and I've gotten meet, in-person meetings in both locations and and it's it's really it's all good. So uh, you know that's that's kind of my story. I wanted to uh, just give you uh, some a uh, couple of, of personal opinions about things. These are not party line AA by any means. But uh, the the most important person in in a meeting to me is the person who has been has gone back out and had a slip and has come back in. And the reason I say that is because um, if, if everybody that went back out, uh, never we never saw them again, even if they all died or never got back, I might think that it's okay out there, that, that they're having a good time and, and, and it's all right to, to, to do that. But I've never heard anybody come back from a slip and say what a good time they had. So the fact that they come back and tell us exactly how it was and how it picks up right where it was start left off is fascinating and powerful. And, and, and I appreciate that. And so people that come back and share that are to me so important. Uh, also, early on, I did what uh, a lot of people, I'm not even sure if this is in the literature, uh, but they say, you know, if, if you're not sure, go back out and try some controlled drinking for a while. And I used to tell people that, but I don't do that anymore because I, I, there probably has been a non-alcoholic get to an AA meeting in the past, but almost everybody that ever gets in through the door an AA meeting is a, pretty much an alcoholic if they get to that to that point. And if they go back out, I, if they get in the door, I want them to stay. I want them to, I want to encourage them to stay. I don't want to give them, I don't want to tell them to go out and do some controlled drinking because they may not get back. And I don't want that on, on my conscience. So, so for me, I don't tell anybody to go out and do any controlled drinking. Uh, the, um, uh, the other thing is I, I had a, a lot of people go through, besides the surgeries, I went through a, a, a divorce and a bankruptcy, uh, but, and, and a lot of people do that. But I went through a, a, a clinical depression and I had to seek professional care and be on a medication for a year and then weaned off and off for a year and put back on and, and uh, then it was removed again. And and for many years, I said, drinking isn't an option. I told myself, drinking is, isn't an option. And I told myself that so long and so often that when I was in that clinical depression and drinking was a real possibility, it almost overcame me. 
So I don't say anymore that drinking is not an option. I, I, I say I have to face the fact that drinking is an option every day and that I don't want to use that. I don't want to take that option because if I deny it and bury it, it could rise up in at some point and overcome me. So I, for me, I say, you know, drinking is an option and I don't want to exercise it. And uh, my my first sponsor, Keith, uh, always said, um, he, he gave me some advice very early, which is probably some of the best advice I ever got. He said, always be a learner. He says, never be a teacher. Always be a learner because the teachers are the ones that go back out and show how this thing works. And um, so he 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 was right on. He, as I said, he just celebrated 50 years, February the 22nd. And um, he, he helped me tremendously. And I've had a few wonderful sponsors over the years. Um, but uh, I come back and uh, I see Charlie on a, on a regular. Uh, Charlie's pretty regular. I'm not so regular, but uh, on, a, on a basis there in our Caduceus group in Cincinnati. And I appreciate his uh, inviting me to share a little bit today and uh, uh, I'm going to uh, wind it up and and uh, turn it back to, to Charlie. Thank you.